So let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for that joyful worship. I thank you so much for the risen Jesus who died for our sins. And Father, when I think of the phrase, the blood of Christ, I think of what it cost Jesus for our free salvation. I thank you for that. And I pray, Father, if there's someone that is watching or here today that doesn't know you, that this would become their spiritual birthday. And so, Father, help us to understand your scriptures and to thrill in what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So he is risen? He is risen indeed. That's pretty good, yeah. Although we had less people in the 7 o'clock service outdoors when it rained, and um, they were louder than that. So we'll just try it one more time. <laughs> he is risen. He is risen indeed. Fantastic. Well, I know you know it, but uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important fact for a Christian to believe. If Jesus did not bodily rise from the dead 2,000 plus years ago, we're wasting our time this morning. The Apostle Paul actually said that in a letter he wrote to the church in a place called Corinth, and it reads this way, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, that's a euphemism for died, who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, the Christian life is so great that even if it wasn't true, it's the only kind of way to live life. That's not true. That's not true. And in today's world, especially as we're living for Christ, more and more it's becoming a disadvantage as far as practicality is concerned. People lose their jobs because they're Christians. In some parts of the world, people are actually killed because they're Christians. So Paul ends up by saying, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have already died, who have fallen asleep. Now, it's instructive to know that the message of the early church majored in proclaiming the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They talked about that resurrection more than anything else. And uh, as a matter of fact, we see it in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is also written by Luke. Luke wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote, wrote Acts, which in a real sense is the history of the early church. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it tells us that with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. So I'm going to start with a short list of some of the attempts to explain away the resurrection. In my atheistic days, I uh, used some of these arguments, especially the first one. And when you hear the first one, you'll think, you use that as an argument? You must have been a fool. That's what the Bible says. When you don't believe in God, you're a fool. Number one is called the swoon theory, the swoon 
theory. Now, the idea behind the swoon theory is that while Jesus was on the cross, he basically passed out, maybe went into a coma. And then when they took him off the cross uh, and they put him in a tomb, he eventually woke up and uh, snuck out and found the disciples. If you remember, the scriptures tell us that he was beaten so badly you couldn't even recognize him. And so he, and he'd lost all kinds of blood. I mean, you, you know about the, what happened to him on the cross. So uh, he found his disciples and inspired them uh, to go out and say that he had risen from the dead. I don't know where he went, but to say he'd risen from the dead. And then uh, uh, they would be willing to do that. And they were willing to do that and, and even be martyred, as most of them were, for what they uh, said they believed. But... The thing is, Jesus didn't swoon on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, that we studied recently here, it says, Jesus called out with a loud voice while on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he says, when he had said this, he breathed his last. Now, I wonder how many of you remember Ann Landers. Do you remember Ann Landers, anybody? I mean, you must be old people. Uh, <laughs> you could write into the newspaper. The newspaper was a bunch of paper with print all over it that we used to get. And uh, you could write into the newspaper, and dear Ann Landers, my boyfriend isn't treating me well, what should I do? And she would tell you what to do. And so uh, there's a guy in the Bible called Eutychus. He was listening to the Apostle Paul preach, and he was up a, a, a story and he, in a window, and he fell out, and uh, he was killed when he fell out, but Paul raised him from the dead. Well, Eutychus got himself an, a newspaper article, and you could write in, and so here's one of the writings. Dear Eutychus, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely, bewildered. Dear bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours, and see what happens. Sincerely, <laughs> Eutychus. <laughs> so that's enough of that one. The second one... The second one that is used sometimes is the disciples stole the body. So we're to believe, if you believe this, that they overcame the soldiers who were guarding the body, they stole the body, then they made up the resurrection story with this, I don't know what they did with the body, and, and then they died for their made-up story. Pretty unlikely. The third one is that Jesus... The parents of Jesus were all hallucinations. People imagined they saw Jesus because the disciples really wanted to believe Jesus rose from the dead. This ignores the fact that the disciples all ran away at the crucifixion, and when the first reports of his resurrection started to leak out, no one believed the reports. There's a scholar, or so-called scholar, by the name of John Dominic Cross, and I've read a number of his books. He's a well-known scholar in his theological era whose uh, scholarly books are written to convince everyone that Jesus did not rise from the dead. He says this, 
the tales of entombment and resurrection were latter-day wishful thinking. Instead, Jesus' corpse went the way of all abandoned criminals' bodies. It was probably barely covered with dirt, vulnerable to the wild dogs that roamed the wasteland of the execution grounds. And he actually says in one of the books that dogs probably ate Jesus. Now, let's handle this a little bit. People don't hallucinate about what they don't believe. The disciples did not believe Jesus would rise from the dead after being crucified. So the idea of them believing that Jesus rose from the dead and telling others they had touched him and ate fish with him and talked at length with him is not the wishful thinking of John Dominic Cross, and who gets a lot of airtime at Easter. The Jews believed everyone would rise from the dead at the final judgment, but no one believed in a Messiah who would be crucified and rise from the dead in three days. No one. It's also significant to note that it was the Jewish custom to wrap the body in cloths and put it in a tomb to preserve it uh, for a year and then fill an ossuary. ossuary. Ossuary is just a box with the bones, and they would keep the bones. And uh, it, was the, 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 it was not to bury the body as cross and suggested. Now, it is true that criminals on the cross were put in shallow graves, but the Jews always, even, even if a person was crucified, always still went through their ritual as they respected the body. Those who did believe Jesus was the Messiah expected him to rise up or raise up an army, kill the Romans, and recover Jerusalem from their rule. So when Jesus was crucified, they assumed his plans had failed and their lives were in danger. An old Newsweek article reads this way. Without the resurrection, it is virtually impossible to imagine that the Jesus movement of the first decades of the first century would have long endured. A small band of devotees might have kept his name alive for a time, even insisting on his messianic identity by calling him Christ. But the group would have been just one of many sects in first century Judaism, a world roiled and crushed by the cataclysmic war with Rome from 66 to 73. By the way, Jesus predicted that that would happen and that the temple would be destroyed, and, it, and it, the conflict resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. But there are other reasons some disbelieve the story that Jesus rose from the dead. The first witnesses to the empty tomb who told the disciples Jesus rose from the dead were women. Women in the first century were not considered reliable witness to anything. And in this case, we are told by Luke in his gospel that the men thought the women were medically disturbed, and not to be believed. So no one would have believed them. That was true at first. But even more important, anyone who would write a book like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, offering proof of the resurrection because of the testimony of women, would definitely be discredited. Most would believe they made up the story, and it wasn't true.
I grew up in a, as a young boy. My parents uh, were regulars at church every Christmas and Easter. And uh, uh, I went to, the, uh, to a very liturgical church as a young boy, even became an altar boy. And we had a creed that we said every Sunday. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in his only Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I can still, even now, I can still go through the whole thing and not miss a beat. And we all stood up and we all just did it. And it was all true. It was very good. Well, the early church had a creed. And scholars believe that this particular creed was developed shortly after Jesus rose from the dead and went back to heaven. It was a very early thing. And the Apostle Paul who was a religious terrorist, wanted to kill all the Christians, eventually became a Christian, and then he used the creed in his writings to the Corinthian church. And let me give you the example. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. Now, writes Paul, who's now a Christian, now, brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, I want to remind you of the good news, the gospel. The word gospel means good news that I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I, re what I received, now this is the creed, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. For us to understand this, we just should say, according to what it says in the Bible. Well, of course, it's talking about the Old Testament. It's talking about the Hebrew Scriptures. And then he says, so, uh, uh, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to what it already said in the Bible, in the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, according to what the Bible said. Uh, and then he says, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's a name for Peter, and then to the 12 apostles, Judas is gone, but they, uh, they appointed another apostle, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters, people who had become Christians, at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, a euphemism for death. And then he appeared to James, that's Jesus' brother James, he grew up with him, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. Paul is really putting himself down here saying, I didn't really deserve it, but he appeared to me. Now, Paul and James did not believe Jesus rose from the dead for Sure. And uh, I grew up as an only child. Uh, my uh, brother, three brothers were already deceased when I was born, one in war. And then my sister was already growing up and had a family and had moved away. So I was brought up as an only child. So I don't know what it's like to have brothers or sisters, but some of you do. So I'm sure that some of you can think about maybe a brother you had that was really good. He didn't do anything wrong. And, uh, but if he had to come up to you and said, I just want you to know, you know, I'm uh, born of a virgin, and I'm God incarnate, and I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be raised from the dead, uh, you would uh, not believe him for a moment. 
Now, I don't believe Jesus ever said that to his brother James or any of the others, but when he was 12 years old, he got lost in the temple, or his parents lost him, and they found him, and he was teaching and listening to and, and talking to some scholars, and he made it very clear at that time that he understood who he was. Now, his mom and dad already knew, but he understood who he was. And, uh, and his brothers went along with his ministry at first, but they didn't believe all of this resurrection stuff. It's interesting. In John's gospel, it reads this way. After this, this is before Jesus was on the cross, Jesus went around in Galilee, and he did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles, that's a Jewish religious holiday, was near, Jesus' brothers, these are his blood brothers, said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then uh, editorializing, John writes, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Uh, I mean... (laughs) When you think about that and think of what happened, we have a book in the Bible called James who does believe in him because the resurrection really happened. Now, if someone were to ask me, okay, what evidence is there that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, I would, I would uh, list five points, and they're all brief, five points. Number one, the eyewitness testimony for Jesus' appearances. We've already looked at it. The eyewitness testimony. 500 people at once saw him. Uh, And then all the others that he met with. And for 30 days, almost 40 days, he taught after he rose from the dead. So there were hundreds of people still alive that when all of this was written, you could have gone and checked out and talked to them and interviewed them. And believe me, Uh, They didn't have uh, CNN or Fox News or any of that, but there would have been people that were going to try to find out from these people, is this really true? So there's all kinds of testimony that Jesus rose from the dead. Number two is the empty tomb. Now, here's the most important thing to think about in this way of thinking. The Jewish and Roman leaders were unable to produce his body. I mean, they had put guards at the tomb, And the guards uh, went and told them what happened, but they made the guards lie and say that the disciples came and stole the body. They couldn't produce the body, and it it was in their benefit to do so. All they had to do to get rid of the whole sect was to produce the body. And the disciples are basically hiding away, and they couldn't find the body. And of course not, because not it wasn't that the tomb was empty, but Jesus had risen from the dead. And number three, I'm not going to talk about this a lot. I've done whole sermons on this more than once. uh, The fulfillment of prophecy. In the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies that are so detailed that they're just hard to even believe. Like, they're so detailed. Psalm 22, for instance, I've talked about it already in sermons very recently in Isaiah 53. You just have to read it and say, that's a picture of crucifixion, especially Psalm 22. And there's lots of other scripture. But they weren't written, they were written like 700 years before anybody even thought of crucifying someone. 
And I'm going to be teaching on Wednesdays the book of Daniel. Uh, the book of Daniel is one of the most incredible books to study, to read prophecy, long, detailed prophecy. I mean, prophecy detailed almost to the minute, uh, hundreds of years before it happens, that you can see in that book. So the prophecy proves that Jesus is who he said he was, and he rose from the dead. Number four, this is kind of obvious, the transform lives of the disciples. A Jewish scholar who does not accept the Christian faith has this to say. If the defeated and depressed group of disciples overnight could change into a victorious movement of faith, something must have happened which we can designate as a historical event since its results were historical. I mean, it's, they, they ran away. They were afraid. They thought they were all going to be hunted down and killed. And then all of a sudden, now they're out basically preaching the gospel uh, and being more than willing to be punished, and they were in terrible ways. And then the fifth one is Jesus' miracles. It's one of the ones that I think we, we, don't, we need to think about this more because it's so obvious. First, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And there were lots of people there. And not only that, but it got back to the Jewish leaders, and they believed it. And they took that as a sign for them to try to get rid of Jesus because if he's going to raise a person who's been dead for four days, everybody's going to follow him and not us. Oh, and by the way, do you realize that Lazarus is the only person that I've ever read about who has two burial places? He was four days in that tomb. Jesus rose him from the dead, and then he died again eventually, and now he had a second burial. I'm glad that's not going to happen to me. And then there's the widow of Nain coming. Jesus is going along, and he, this widow is coming out. She's the widow, and she's got her son and a buyer. He's dead, her only son, and people are coming with her as they're going to go to... Uh, to uh, bury the boy. He was definitely dead. Jesus came up and he touched the buyer that he was on. Now, no Jewish person would do that. That makes you religiously unclean. But then he raises the son up to life and gives him back to his mother. Do you not think that people talked about that <laughs> and that that just spread everywhere? Or the, one of my very favorites is the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, uh, Jairus came up to Jesus and said, my daughter is dying. Will you come and heal her, please? And they're all heading off to heal her. And a man comes from the town and says, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's died. She's dead. And Jesus went and walked into that room with the mother and a couple of disciples. And he raised that young girl from the dead. Plus, now just let's add this to it. There were large numbers of those who had been blind but could now see, were lepers uh, but were now healed, were crippled but could now walk, were demon-possessed but were in the right minds. And no doubt many had seen these people around during the three years of Jesus' ministry. Uh, remember the man in the house? The, his four friends were bringing him. He was totally paralyzed. And they went up in the roof because they couldn't get in, and they put him down and right in front of Jesus. And Jesus simply said to him, 
your sins are forgiven. That was a scandal to the religious rulers who are there, because only God can say that. That was the same as Jesus saying, I am God. But the result was this man got up with balance and everything. He was totally paralyzed. It was like a recreation. And let me tell you, lots of people uh, heard about that. And no doubt many had seen all of these people uh, around and uh, would talk to them and all of that. Um, so, big question. Why should I believe in Jesus? Big question. Well, because I'm going to die. Oh, we're going to die. Hebrews 9.27 says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, we don't like the judgment part. And besides that, what other choices do we have? It is often said all religions teach the same things and we should all get along. But those who say such a thing obviously know little about all religions. Uh, let me give you a lesson. Buddhism doesn't believe in sin. Hinduism believes there are countless gods. Make your choice and don't get any of them upset at you. Islam is more of a political system where getting to heaven is a balancing of the scales. Do enough good, whatever that means, and you might make it, but there's no way of knowing. You'll just have to wait and see. Judaism is a system of law-keeping so stringent that there had to be regular animal sacrifices because everyone agreed it is impossible to keep all the laws. Therefore, since today there are no temple sacrifices, there is no way of knowing if one will be in heaven or not. Oh, and Mormonism. Mormonism does not consider Jesus as God, but along with Islam says it is the only true religion. Or what about Jehovah Witnesses that are rapping on our doors constantly? Uh, Jehovah Witnesses have changed their doctrine so many times it's confusing to understand what they actually believe. And plus, their Bible translation is just terrible, and that can be easily proven. And if logic means anything, since Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and Islam and Christianity all say they are the only way to heaven, either they're all wrong and should be ignored, or one is right and should be embraced but they all can't possibly be right. There are not several only ways to heaven. Nevertheless, the leaders of each religion have long deceased except for one, and his name is Jesus. Joseph Smith died in 1844, Mormon. Muhammad died in June 8, 632. Gautama Buddha died, if he existed at all, sometime between the 6th and 4th century. No no one knows for sure. All the biblical persons from Adam to Moses and beyond are deceased. Oh, and Mary Baker Eddy, who found a Christian science, which claims there is no such thing as sickness, died December 3, 1910 of her last sickness. <laughs> so since there is only one way that claims its founder, Jesus, is still alive, that is the only one that truly must be investigated. Newsweek wrote an article at the beginning of the year 2000. So you think of it as a 1999 article. 
and they wrote this. Historians did not record his birth, nor for 30 years did anyone pay him much heed. A Jew from the Galilean hill country with a reputation for teaching and healing, he showed up at the age of 33 in Jerusalem during Passover. In three days, he was arrested, tried, and convicted of treason, executed like the commonest of criminals. His followers said that God raised him from the dead, except among those who believed in him, the event passed without notice. 2,000 years later, the centuries themselves are measured from the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. At the end of this year, meaning 1999, calendars in India and China like those in Europe, America, and the Middle East, will register the dawn of the third millennium. For me, the greatest proof of the resurrection is B.C., before Christ, and A.D., in the year of our Lord. It's a Latin phrase. Or, in modern scholarship, they've tried to change it, B.C.E., before the common era and the common era, and you ask, well, what's the difference? It's Jesus. That's the difference. So that brings me to our biggest problem. We are all sinners. We all have a sin nature. It's our natural inclination to sin. We have daily sad proof of this in America today, in places where court systems care more about the offenders than the victims. It is shocking to see the crimes committed when we sinners know we can get away with even murder. And this is because of our sin nature. Now, the Bible says we're all sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 reads, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we don't become sinners by sinning, we are born with a sin nature, and we sin because we're sinners. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death. That's the result of our sin nature, death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's a quality of life that we can have right now and, of course, forever. Uh, God is eternal life in Christ, who is Jesus, our Lord. Now, death is separation from God's loving presence. We all live forever, but when we die, there are two places we can go, either heaven or hell. Now, there have been many who refused to believe in Jesus because he talked about hell more than heaven. The reason is the justice of God and the love of God. I can't imagine anything more tragic the lack of justice or love. We see it in our temporal level these days. But imagine if everyone went to heaven regardless of their sinfulness. Heaven would be hell. Hell is the just place for sinners who refuse our loving, grace-filled God's offer of eternal salvation. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins... So we would not have to go to hell, but instead experience the eternal joy of life in Christ now and forever. God made provision for our sinfulness so that when we die, we can be sure we will spend eternity in heaven. Hebrews in our New Testament, chapter 2, verse 14, reads this way in the New Living Translation. 
because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, that's Jesus, also became flesh and blood. That's the incarnation. That's Mary's child. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So the real big question is, do you see why the resurrection of Jesus is so important? It proves that Jesus is who he said he was. It proves that our sins are forgiven. To become a Christian, one must believe in Jesus, which means you must agree with God that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, and we must receive Jesus into our lives by faith. That is an act of our will. We have to do that. God is inviting us to do that, especially in this service right now at Easter and in churches all over Sarasota, Bradenton, and around the world on this particular day. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it reads, but to all who believed him, so everyone who believes all that Jesus said and taught and accepted him, he gave the right, that word means power, ability, to become children of God. The empty tomb did not cause the disciples to believe in Jesus. It was the physical appearances of Jesus that caused them to believe. Christians don't believe in an empty tomb. They believe in a risen Savior. Hundreds of millions of people from every corner of the globe over history and around the world have believed. No other religion claims a personal relationship with its founder. Uh, no religion claims its leader was God dead and buried, now risen from the dead and alive today. Jesus claimed he would rise from the dead many times, but his disciples never understood what he was talking about. This is 2023 A.D. or C.E., if you like, and he is risen. Now we must make a decision about what we are going to believe about the historical reality of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I'm very thankful that there is a formula of sorts. I like to use the word formula because it's a guarantee, actually. It works every time. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. It simply tells us this. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that means you're saying, I want him in charge of my life and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. I like the word justified. It means that when God looks at us, he sees us as righteous, able to come to heaven just as if we had never sinned. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You see, it doesn't matter if when, when I was a young boy, I went to church, I was an altar boy, uh, all of that types of thing. The, the priest, especially, we were told, liked extra wine near the end so he could drink it. And uh, I mean, I, I did that. I went to his house for breakfast before services and all that kind of stuff. But I became an atheist. I didn't believe any of it. I read the Bible. I didn't believe any of it. I read books about it. And, but I was a church, so I must be okay. 
And too many people believe, well, I go to church. I, I do believe all that stuff, but, but it's not just only believing. It's you allow that to come into your life fully. It changes your life. It changes everything about you. And so when you become a Christian, at that point in time, your belief system immediately changes. I started a Bible study, Valerie and I, in our home, just two or three months after we had become Christians. I tremble to think at what I must have taught. Uh, and, uh, but all kinds of people were getting saved. It was an incredible experience because both our lives had changed and everybody knew it. And they were curious to see how this had happened. So if you had that experience in your life, has your life changed? Have you asked Jesus to come into your life? All you have to do is pray. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have all of us pray a prayer after me, everyone, uh, so that the, those among us who may be here and not a believer can pray the same prayer out loud, but everybody else is praying it too. You don't have to have all the words just right, so it's not going to be a formula prayer. It's just going to be what we need to believe. And then if you do believe that, uh, then you've prayed it, I have a special Bible for you, and I don't want you to leave without it. We've got a lot of them. So uh, I'll be back at the door after the last song, and we have some there, and just ask me for it. So let's do this. Bow your heads, everyone, and close your eyes. And uh, let's just be really quiet, and then we'll all pray together in just a minute. But let me just, one more exhortation. If you have never done this before, please don't wait. We have no idea what the next minute, much less the next hour or day, week, month, year has for us. So this is your opportunity to become a Christian, and I guarantee you will never regret it. So let's pray this way. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son to die for my sins. I agree I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. Jesus, please come into my life. Thank you for living and dying and rising from the dead. Please change my life completely. In Jesus' name, amen.